You are listening to Legion of Substitute Podcasters, episode 382, The Superboy Chronicles, part 2, The Demon Next Door. Welcome to episode 382 of Legion of Substitute Podcasters. I'm Paul French, and I am today. I am recording this much later than you think, lad. Um, so, <laughs> the time that has elapsed between me finishing recording this and you listening to this is shorter than most episodes. I'm just saying. Uh, but that's a whole that's a whole other story. And there's already two sensational stories of the Boy of Steel in this in this episode. So, uh, so I'm, I'm just going to get straight into it. Uh, this comes to us from The New Adventures of Superboy, number two, from February of 1980. And um, so we have on the cover, we have Superboy bursting into flames, uh, Lana pointing at uh, a, a demon that is wearing a suit and tie, uh, standing in front of a strange-looking statue. And Superboy appropriately says, Lana, I'm bursting into flames. How could that happen? And she says, The evil statue did it, Superboy, and now it's turning my father into a demon. That's right. That's right. All right, so we uh, we start off um, with the phone ringing um, at uh, Superboy's home. That's the Kent uh, family home. And... Um, so he comes flying down, uh, seeing that mom, pa aren't home, so it's up to him. So he goes in super fast so that uh, he can uh, not be seen by any watchful neighbors, including one very nosy neighbor. Um, and so he, uh, he answers the phone very politely, of course. Hello, Kent residents. This is Clark speaking. Turns on it's Lana, and she says, For a minute there, I thought nobody was home, but listen, I've got to confide in someone. I don't know who else to turn to. There's trouble here in the Lang House. Big trouble. It starts with a capital T. Well, wait, no. No, well, I mean, it does, but I don't think that's the intent. Um, So, yes, The Demon Next Door, brought to us from writer Carrie Bates, penciler Kurt Schaffenberger, inker Dave Hunt, letterer Ben Oda, colorist Gene D'Angelo, and editor Julius Schwartz. All right, so uh, she says, I'd rather not talk about it over the phone, Clark. Is it okay if I come right over? And he says, sure thing, Lana. I'll do anything I can to help. So he notices that she seems kind of worried, you know, nervous, frightened. He says, she couldn't be worried about flunking out, not with her grades, and to confide in Clark Kent, of all people. And uh, so he says, well, anyway, whatever the reason, by the time she rushes here next door, I'd better be suitably dressed. So he reaches into a pocket in his cape and starts pulling out his uh, Clark Kent clothes. And uh, Julia Schwartz lets us know that it was during his teen years that Superboy began containing his compressible Clark Kent uh, clothes inside a secret pouch in his cape. Um, Yeah, so basically he created this chemical that allowed him to turn them uh, into wafer-thin layers um, that he could hide in the secret pouch. Um, So she hits the buzzer. We've got Lana uh, wearing a pink sweater, and she's got a strange little eye amulet. Um, And he says, that sure was fast, Lana. Come on in. She says, oh, Superboy, you're just the person who might be able to help. And and he says, ooh, hey, 
she's thinking, hey, she called me Superboy without batting a, an eyelash. And she says, it's my father. Oops, it's my father, Superboy. And the problem's rapidly going from bad to worse. And he says again, Superboy, what kind of game is she playing? My best bet is to play along and see where it leads to. And uh, he's, <laughs> what's with the Superboy routine, Lana? It's a little early for April Fool's Day. Um, and so the date seems to be uh, at least in, in holding. Um, so she says, listen, Superboy, Dad's been away on an archaeological expedition in the Middle East for the past month, and he wasn't due home until next week. So imagine my surprise when I came home from school two days ago. And uh, so Professor Lang is in the in the living room with like a ton of huge crates, you know, and uh, marked, uh, marked, many marked fragile. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of them. I mean, you know, like we're talking um, Indiana Jones uh, uh, secret uh, uh, warehouse uh, number of boxes here. I mean, there's there's at least a dozen that you can sort of see uh, in the panel. Anyway, so she says, what are you doing home so early? Mom's still out of town on a visit. And he says, well, our dig was proceeding so well, we finished ahead of schedule. And so... Um, Besides, Dad was anxious to resume the restoration work on the ancient relics he brought back with him. And uh, except for short naps, he hasn't left the workshop behind our house for the past 48 hours. Okay, so it's probably the workshop in the back as opposed to the living room, but you know what I'm saying. So, um, so she says, this afternoon as I was bringing him a snack, I heard strange words coming from inside the shop. Ahriman, I beseech you, O great enchanted one, grant my humble request. It was Dad chanting some weird sort of magical root ritual and uh she says so the big shocker and she opens the thing and there he is in a um in a robe with a couple of a couple of horns he's sprouted um over a pentagram that has burst into flames she says his face was satanic jutting out of his head were grotesque frightening horns and uh, so she raced back to the house and um and called the cats and she says but i managed to compose myself enough to dial the uh, telephone and Call you, Superboy. What do you, Superboy? Are you listening to me? And he's thinking, like, and so he's been, of course, as she's explaining this, he's uh, checked over uh, next door with his uh, X-ray vision, and she, and he's like, she doesn't dream how disastrous the situation has become. Her father's life is in peril this very moment. And you know, he's like, well, seems to know the Superboy thing. So, you know, the jig's up. So he does the costume change in front of her and says. Besides, Professor Lang doesn't have a second to spare. She says, Superboy, what are you going to do? And he picks her up and carries her over there. And they see that the workshop is in flames. And uh, so he gets down there and says, Relax, Lana. Putting out fire, uh, fire, putting out fires is one of my specialties. So he, lets, he lands her safely and then get, breaks into the room to get Professor Lang out. And Professor Lang is decidedly undemonic at the moment. Um... And so she's sitting there thinking, like, what's taking so long? And, you know, the fire is going on, and were we too late? So she's got, uh, so he comes out, he's got Professor Lang wrapped up in his indestructible cape, and uh, goes. he goes back into the flames, and he says, and she says, there goes uh, Superboy. I still don't see why he didn't just extinguish the fire in the first place. And, uh, doc and Professor Lang says, for a very simple reason, daughter, cough. He tried to put out the flames tried again and again, cough, but he couldn't. Um, you know, so this says to me, magical fire. Um, 
so he's trying all these different things, you know, uh, a super vacuum, uh, super breath to blow the flames out, and uh, nothing's working. And uh, so, um, so what he ends up doing is, is saying like it seems that the flames were seeking Professor Lang out. So, uh oh, the black magic fire is turning toward me now. And he says it's a risky ruse I'm trying, considering my superpowers aren't immune to magic. But I've learned that taking risks is part of what being Superboy is all about. So he flies out of there all Human Torch style with the flames and goes uh, and basically has allowed the fire to sort of surround him and then he heads out to outer space and he says didn't expect the vacuum of outer space to have any effect on the flaming condition either but at least out here i have plenty of room to build up super speed and he says supernatural flames aren't bound by the physical laws of this universe so with apologies to dr einstein by breaking the law against going faster than the speed of light i cross over into hyperspace that's right, and you can tell because there's little rainbows going around. I'm surprised he doesn't travel back in time, and um, and so he kind of you know blinks out of out of that space, and in real space, the uh, the flame says there's no living being present to sustain it, and so the supernatural fire fades out of existence. So he says, "I wish I could solve my other problems just as easily. How did Lana ever stumble onto my secret identity?" And what deluded her into thinking her father had been transformed into a horned demon? And um, so he says, you know, the professor seemed perfectly normal. So he flies down, and um, and Lana is running out into traffic, trying to get away from Professor Lang, saying, no, don't touch me, get away from me. And there's a truck bearing down on her. And uh, so Superboy says, look, like I'm saving one Lang after another today. And um, so what he does to save her is actually uses super breath and kind of ricochets it off, pushing her onto a rise, rapidly rising cushion of air and catches her in the air. And he says, I wonder what's gotten into her. And uh, Professor Lang says, thank God you got back in time here, Superboy. Lana could have been killed. And he says, uh, and she says, no, take him away. Take me away, far away from him, Superboy. I told you, that's not my father. It's a demon. He wants to kill me. And Professor Lang's like, you're not making any sense. Of course I'm your father. But she's freaked out. And so she she actually faints uh, faints away. And uh, he says, Professor Lang, I, help me out here. And he says, well, I may have some answers. Let's go back to the house where we can talk. And uh, so he uh, goes through and they dig through the... Um, um, through the workshop. The, sort of the rubble of the workshop. And, and, and he says... You know, he says, she was right about one thing. I was attempting to perform a magic spell when I lost control and set off a supernatural fire. He says, you're dabbling with sorcery? He says, I know, hardly what you'd expect from a man of science. I was doing it for Lana, trying to exercise the terrible thing that's possessed her. And he says, what thing? And he pulls out this big statue. That's the one that we saw on the cover. Um, he says, something connected with ancient magic practiced by Persians 2,500 years ago. Yesterday, when Lana was looking over these relics I brought back, she was entranced by a certain sculpture. And so it's got, like, two kind of bearded faces on either side and a couple of cobras um, uh, out of the sides of it. And uh, he says it's a, a, a sculpture known as the Twins of Kokra. I found it near an altar on which burnt offerings were made. One of the identical busts represents good, the other evil. I'm afraid Lana was possessed by an ancient demon that dwelt within as you see, the supernatural fire didn't do any harm to the twins. It convinces me that the ancient legend about the sculpture is true. And he says, okay, professor, now convince me. 
So the professor says, originally it was only one head, said to have been fashioned by Zoroaster, the great Persian religious leader, in the image of Ahur Mazda, the good god of light. But years later it fell in the hands of dissenters, worshippers of Araman, the evil god of darkness, who was Mazda's twin. Remember, Araman was the one that he was doing the spell to in the uh, in um, Lana's flashback earlier. However reliable that turns out to be. Um, it says, because of their fear of Ahura Mazda, they couldn't destroy the head, so they struck back by fashioning an identical bust that was created in Araman's name. And they say, I see, it was their way of counteracting with the or counteracting the power of good. This is precisely just one of the countless battles in the eternal war of good versus evil. Apparently, the demon those devil worshippers conjured up centuries ago was still active, waiting for a suitable subject to possess. Why it chose Lana and not me, I can't imagine. So well, what if I destroyed the sculpture? Wouldn't that free Lana from the spell? He says, no, she's, she's linked. Like, you crush the, both busts, you'd crush her life as well. Uh, on the other hand, if you just destroyed the evil bust, it would leave the demon completely defenseless against the power of a hero Mazda. He'd have to flee Lana's body, and I'd have my daughter back. But as you can see, the busts are identical. There's no way of knowing which bust is good and which evil. Uh, even uh, with 50-50 so, so, with odds, we couldn't dare guess, not with Lana's life at stake. He says, well, there may be a way. If you can remember the exact position of the sculpture in relation to the altar when you uncovered it. As you know, Ahura Mazda was the god of light and fire. You did say that the altar was used for burnt offerings. And he goes, ah, I'm beginning to get your drift. If Mazda worshippers were the ones who buried the twins, wouldn't they have faced the good head toward the altar? He says, of course. And if the Araman worshippers did the burying, they would have had the demon head looking away from their fire. Either way, it ought to solve our two-headed problem. And he says, yes, let's see. From the position of our dig, the altar was on my left, so... And he holds it and he says, we're in luck. I distinctly remember taking note of that small imperfection on the top of one head. The head that was facing my left, to my left, which means it was also facing the altar. Therefore, there could be no doubt. The head without the imperfection is the evil one you must destroy. He says, you're sure, Professor? Lana's life depends on it. He says, don't you think I know that? I'm absolutely certain, Superboy. Without the head of imperfection, it will be on your right. He says, well, sir, if you're really that certain, and I hope that, that my heat vision could do what magic fire couldn't. Unfortunately, he's correct. So, he says, no, Superboy, you're melting down the wrong head. He says, that all depends on your point of view. And from where I stand, it looks like I made the right choice. And the demon, you know, we see the the horn sprout out of La Professor Lang's head, and he says, Arg, you tricked me, Superboy. But how? How did you know? He says, how did I know that it was really Professor Lang that was possessed? And that your scheme was to trick me into destroying the good head so that you'd no longer have to fear the power of Ahura Mazda? Sorry, demon, but that's my secret. No wonder the fire, which is sacred to Ahura Mazda, tried to destroy the Professor. And the demon says, you have vanquished me this time, but someday I will return to avenge this defeat. And Professor Lang is waking up, and he says, hmm, what happened to me? So groggy. And soon, after Superboy has carried a, w a week and dazed Professor Lang to his bed, he checks in on uh, Lana, and he says, it's a lucky thing I happened upon a, por a portion of the Professor's notes during the fire. Notes explaining the magic Kokra necklace and how it works. Whosoever shall wear it shall be able to discern the true self of any man, the inscription read. The demon must have given it to Lana as a present, knowing that it would enable her to see his true demonic form, even though Professor Lang would appear normal to everyone else, even me. And that's that little eye amulet that she was wearing. He says his plan was to make Lana seem irrational, as if under a spell. And he says it might have worked, too, if Lana hadn't seen my true self first, calling Clark Kent Superboy, 
That's what tipped me off that the demon she saw was real. She wakes up wondering where her father is, and he says, Your father's fine. He's in the next room resting. He says, The moment of truth. Now that I've removed the magic necklace, will she forget what she saw? She says, I feel so strange, like I've been in a trance or something. Well, don't just sit there, Clark. Help me up. I've got to figure out what's been going on. Why my mind's a blank. And he says, Don't worry, Lana. I'll tell you the whole story. And he thinks to himself, Almost all of it, that is. And so, next issue, a man of today travels back in time to turn his boyhood's, boyhood self into the new superstar of Smallville. But wait, there's more. All right, so Superboy's Secret Diary. Superboy's Secret Diary, and I have actually an additional listener here in the studio. Uh, Elle is here. Do you want to say hi? She does not. She does not want to say hi at all. But that's okay. She's wearing her new super cool watch, so... I don't think it signals Superboy, though, does it? No. She's shaking her head no. Okay, so um, this, uh, this story is called The Day of the Explosive Element, and it is brought to us by writer Carrie Bates, penciler Kurt Schaffenberger, inker Dave Hunt, letterer Ben Oda, colorist Gene D'Angelo, and editor Julius Schwartz. That's right. The same team brought us two stories. And uh, so, you know, we got, well, okay, the first one's a 12-pager. This one's probably an 8-pager. So anyway, so it's Superboy arguing with his parents about homework. He says, I don't see the sense of my spending a couple of hours every night doing homework like everyone else. After all, I'm not like everyone else. And, uh, the, and the parents argue that basically it's a matter of self-discipline. And uh, in his diary, he says, I can still remember how ticked off. Maybe this is like the voice of Daniel Stern, like in, in The Wonder Years. I can still remember how ticked off I was that day at mom and dad. Even ever since first grade, they had forbidden me to use my superpowers to do schoolwork, um, in a, uh, unless absolutely necessary due to emergency activities as Superboy. They said, one day Mr. Clark Kent will be working for a living even as he maintains his secret Superman identity. Whatever uh, profession you choose, doctor, lawyer, or scientist, like your real father, You'll have to make sure your powers never show on the job. And, and Jonathan says, and believe us, that will take discipline. Discipline you've got to start developing now. That's right, because fame costs. And right now is where you start paying. That's what they're saying. Um, so he does a little gust of uh, suction breath to draw the school books into his arms. And he says, but I was still peeved. And I said, picking up your books the easy way. Okay, my boy, but once you get to your room and open those books, you're unsuper. Have I made myself clear? And uncharacteristically, Clark says, clear as can be, sir. And he gets up there and he says, my first homework assignment was earth science, a long chapter on igneous and sedimentary rocks. And he's thinking, what a waste of time. I've seen more rocks on earth and other planets than the geologist who wrote this book will see in a whole lifetime. And that's right. Superboy's got a bit of an attitude. So there's a knock on the door from, uh, um, from Martha and she asks if she can come in. And he goes, ah, she's probably stopping in to console me. And she's got a helmet, and it's his Kryptonese learning helmet uh, that was that he had left behind the couch in the living room. And she says, very clear, as Clark. What if Lana or Pete happened to stop by for a visit and had seen it? That would take some tall explaining, wouldn't it? And he goes, you're right, Mom, sorry, because it, it's a goofy-looking helmet. So she says, after you finish your schoolwork, we want you to spend an extra hour studying your Kryptonese. It's been days since you've worn the helmet. I know it seems we're being hard on you some, but it's for your own good, and someday you'll realize that. Someday, someday he will realize that. Perhaps that day will come sooner than we think. He says, after the science, I dug into, into math and then into history. Finally, two long hours later, he says, that's that. Dull as the past couple of hours have been, they won't be as bad as the next hour under my Kryptonese learning helmet. 
beats me on understanding why um, why my mom and dad keep insisting I learn my native language, even though Krypton is no more and I'm the only Kryptonian alive. Now, of course, that's because he doesn't know that at this point, like, Jor-El and Lara seem to be the only people that died on Krypton. Um, it says, yes, so... Uh, Julius Schwartz, of course, lets us know later, of course, Superboy was to learn of others, but at this time, he believed no one else had survived the explosion of Krypton. So I don't even know if he's he's got crypto yet. He says, besides, of what possible use will I ever... And then he hears this weird sound, and and so he changes to Superboy, and he, get, he flies up in this woofda, 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 and he says, that's coming from my own backyard. And it's says, Pockens Woodshed. So he gave it a quick uh, scan to see that no neighbors were watching before he landed. And he says, now that I know where the sound is coming from, I don't need x-ray vision to see what must be causing it. That's right, it's coming from the spaceship that he came to Earth in as a baby. And he goes, there's the noisemaker, the rocket from Krypton that brought me here to Earth. I, we always assumed the ship burnt itself out when its superfuel exploded soon after the crash landing. <clears throat> but it turns out there was one component. So he pulls out this thing, and it's like a little... Uh, so it looks like a little compressed air cylinder, basically. And there's some words on um, some words on it in, in Kryptonese. And he says, I can't translate all the words. If only he had studied more. Um, and he says, uh, I can make out warning, do not. And he goes, what's that next word? I mean, I wonder. And then, kaboom, take a drink. And... Uh, he says, I later figured out the full message was, warning, do not handle unless wearing insulated gloves. And he says, and he apparently found out why uh, the warning was there, and he was frozen. You know, it's basically, uh, he handled the equivalent of an Earth's sub-zero canister of liquid oxygen. And so he's covered in ice, and, um, and it's not good. He says, the sub-zero Kryptonian element inside the component must have been so unstable, so unstable, the body warmth from my hands was enough to raise the temperature uh, to... Uh, basically to uh, an explosive level and um, uh, to a critical explosive level so I really have trouble reading the cursive uh, here in, on, on this on this page um, and he says so gotta remove the sub-zero liquid off me fast the super cold is slowing down my heartbeat for all I know this stuff could be fatal and he says because the sub-zero element like the rocket was from Krypton it was as super as I was and that's why my situation was so critical but I quickly realized that same fact might, uh, might save me now, think about this, uh, um, uh, you know, where, where he says, um, you know, this reminds me of, of you know, Superboy and Mon-El. Well, that can't hurt us because we're super. And uh, so it's neat that they were, they were still using that, uh, you know, that, that was a, tr uh, a way of talking that, uh, that he had from the, uh, from this, the 60s stories. And that, that's definitely carried over here. Um, and so he um, basically reflects, uh, he vision off the uh, the steel of the rocket, and uh, now back, you know, as as Byrne would later make it, that's that's how he would shave. Um, but in this case, it allows him to ba to reflect the heat beams back to him, and uh, and basically warm himself. And so he said he can feel the sub-zero element starting to rise in temperature and evaporate. He said within seconds, my reflected heat uh, vision had done the trick so well. I felt myself overheating. And he says, well, better turn off the rays, or Mom and Dad will wonder how their super sun got a sunburn overnight. He says, I didn't tell Mom and Dad about my close call, but I'd learned my lesson. If I had been doing my homework and studying my Kryptonese as I should have, I would have been able to decipher that warning and save myself a whole lot of trouble. And who knows? If I keep using my learning helmet, one day 
I might even be able to write my diary in Kryptonese. Which is exactly what the Man of Steel, as Julius Schwartz tells us, uh, began to do years later in his Arctic Fortress of Solitude, recording his giant diary in Kryptonese. And so that is the, the end of the issue. Um, I just got to point out at the on the back, um, you know, they used to have the Daily Planet page. And it was basically kind of their way of, uh, of highlighting books that were coming up. So you had the Daily Planet. So this is a week of December 17th, 1979. Um, Transformations, Baffle, JLA. And uh, so this was uh, uh, highlighting Justice League 177 from Jerry Conway, Dick Dillon, and Frank McLaughlin. Uh, talking about how the Aquaman battles whale killers, the Adam Foyles kidnappers, Green Arrow and Black Canary infiltrate a congress of violence-prone motorcyclists. And Batman and Superman face blazing doom at Gotham Airport. A variety of minor cases for members of the Justice League, you say? They might well be. But for the bizarre transformations taking place in each... Oh dear. Uh, sorry, I hit a page and it took me straight to issue three. Um, there we go. There we go. Oh yes, because there's a Superboy quiz um, in here. And maybe we'll... Uh, We'll get into that a little later because uh, it's kind of fun. Um, so what is the secret of the Graveyard Gambit? And who is the mysterious villain working behind the scenes? Um, we have uh, Bob Rosakis' uh, column, Ask the Answer Man. And and I got to say, because um, Bob Rosakis is a, is a Facebook friend, and uh, it always uh, gives me a charge when, uh, when uh, on my birthday because he always sends a message. And... Uh, and yeah, it, it always it kind of gives me a gives me a little giggle to say to like it's the answer man. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so he says, um, what was the first Legion of Superhero story uh, that Jim Shooter wrote? And uh, he says, Big Jim's first story uh, to appear uh, was One of Us as a Traitor in Adventure three forty six way back in July nineteen sixty six. Uh, did Jimmy Olsen give up his Elastic Lad career, or will we see him in action again? And he says, Jimmy's in stretchable action in the world's greatest superheroes new newspaper strip, appearing in newspapers across the country, and I do remember that. Uh, they ask if uh, there's any chance of Bob Oxner returning his regular inker on Superman, and he says, Bob's schedule, which includes art on the Dundee newspaper strip, makes it impossible to handle a monthly Superman feature, but his work does appear in Superman Family when he's got the time. And I love some of these questions. Uh, Duke H. Reed asks, how much is Four Star Spectacular number four worth? And he says, 20 cents in good condition. Uh, will Mr. Miracle, will Superman ever team up with Mr. Miracle or Red Tornado? And the answer, he did. And DC presents 12 and 7, respectively. Both excellent issues, I might add. Um, in Action 495, there is a photograph of Clark Kent with Mom Pa Kent holding fish that they caught. Who took the picture? Hmm. This is uh, answer. Presumably, Clark could have snapped in the picture and used his super speed to get into the picture before it was taken. Um, and then, how much is Superman number 64 worth in good condition? Answer, $8. Uh, how many covers had Joe Kubert drawn? And he says, I don't think there's a book in the DC line that hasn't had a Kubert cover somewhere along the line, but I doubt that even Joe has kept account of how many he's done in his career. And then they ask about... Uh, whatever happened to Man Bat? <laughs> and Rosakis answers, there are plans for Manny to make another appearance in an upcoming issue of Brave and Bold. And what is John Jones' weakness? This is before it was Oreos. Uh, this time it was fire. Um, we get a, an ad for 
uh, uh, Jordan Hex Civil War exploits. And then the direct currents uh, highlights DC Comics Presents number 20. Can Superman and Green Arrow stop an inferno from the sky? Find out in this Denny O'Neill, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Georgiella tale. That's quite, that's a nice creative team on that. Uh, the Flash number two eighty four, caught in the time stream. The Scarlet Speed for the Speedster fights finds his only hope is to run. Flash, run for your life in this tale by Gary Carrie Bates, Don Heck, and Frank Garamonte. Um, this would have been around the time that Iris had quote unquote died, and uh, he was going after her killer. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what was going on in that time frame, I believe. Um, Ghost number eighty seven. George Cashdan and Jerry Talak take a ride in a floating coffin while Fred Carrillo joins Cashdan to recount the tale of the Phantom Freak. And then GI Combat number 219. So a uh, whole lot of whole lot of neat stuff uh, happening there. And then there's a Hembeck with Bizarro. Two Bizarros looking through a telescope saying, Yipes, me see large spacecraft veering off from near collision with Bizarro World. What am it? And he says, simple, Bizarro Skylab. Wow, does that date this, right? Um, anyway, kind of some neat stuff. In the meantime, a couple of questions from the uh, Superboy quiz. Number one, where did Ma Kent get the material for the Superboy costume? Do you know this? No? Okay, so it is from the red, blue, and yellow blankets the Super Baby was wrapped in when he came to Earth. She unraveled the threads and rewove them. Uh, two, who designed the S symbol uh, emblem that he wears? And this is before the days that it was, you know, the Kryptonian symbol of hope, etc., etc. At this point, it was developed by Pa Kent. And uh, number three, when did the Kents move from their farm to the uh, uh, Smallville, into Smallville, and open their general store? And that was just before Clark started school. So there you go. There's our first three questions from the Superboy quiz. Uh, so I'm going to wrap this up. So comments, as always, are welcome at legionofsubstitutepodcasters at gmail.com. You can join in the conversation on our Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com. Uh, we are on the Twitter. We are LOSP Podcast. And in addition to all these things, you can head over to our website, legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com, and you can leave a comment on this or any episode. And so with my somewhat silent guest, who one day I'll get on this show to talk a bit more, um, I say uh, we're going to get into the time bubble, going to head back to the 21st century, and we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.